are listening to It Simply Isn't Done, a podcast of Portage Chapel Hill. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport, and I am typically joined by Reverend Barry Petrucci. Barry is on a renewal leave, and we are excited for him and excited to welcome him back mid-October. We are going to have guests join us on the podcast that will reflect on the scripture, on messages, and a little bit about their life and ministry. And we are so happy that you're here. This week, the Reverend Caleb Williams will be joining us as the guest on our podcast. And Caleb is an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. His name might be familiar to you because he was also formerly the music director here at Chapel Hill several moons ago. He is serving a local parish right now here in town, Millwood United Methodist Church. And one of a myriad of reasons why Caleb makes a great guest is because our podcast name is It Simply Isn't Done. We mean that about the church, the future of the church, but also the ways we do church. And Caleb, as a deacon, serving as a, as a local pastor to a congregation, simply is not done. So we're going to hear a little bit about that today, as well as the scripture and message. Scripture today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I invite you to listen. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame, a fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians, Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this will show you, (laughs) we're struggling, that I am the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. 
But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they are going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Whew. So, we are somehow in the last week of our Anything But Ordinary series. They said it would not be done. And yet here we are. We have ventured through all sorts of books, um, stories, where we have gone, where we are going. And we end it with a story that lives up to the series name, a story that is anything but ordinary, Moses and the Burning Bush. I want to bridge the gap a little bit, just remind us where we've been, um, because these stories all kind of work together as a narrative, but it's easy to get lost. So even in the scripture, right, it kind of reviewed it for us. We started with Abraham and Sarah. We went to Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Joseph, and then we skip a whole bunch of generations. And now we're to Moses. And Moses is actually part of the Levite tribe. Levi was one of Joseph's brothers. So what did we miss in that time? We actually don't really know. The book of Genesis ends with Joseph, him rescuing his family from famine. That's kind of where we stop. And then we pick up in Exodus, presumably a couple hundred years later. And at this time, the Hebrew people had suffered from that famine. And through that process, um, they had become enslaved by the Egyptians in order to be fed. So initially it was likely trading their labor for food and then that just evolved into total enslavement. And that kind of picks up where we are today with Moses. Last week we learned that Moses was spared um, from Pharaoh's horrible decry, decree, all of the things that uh, all of the firstborn men um, of Hebrew babies, all the Hebrew babies that were male would need to be killed, murdered. Moses was spared from that by the resistance of a myriad of women, from midwives to his mother to Pharaoh's daughter. They did not let Pharaoh's cruel paranoia uh, prevent them from the small acts of resistance that made a huge impact. So Moses, a Hebrew, grows up as kind of a stepchild in the palace of Pharaoh. He's treated well, but it's obvious he's different. He's Hebrew. And then eventually as an adult, he watches an Egyptian enslaver cruelly whip a Hebrew man. He entirely loses his temper and he kills that Egyptian. Moses then flees, knowing the penalty for that crime would also be death and then more cruelty towards the Hebrew people. He runs to the land of Midian. He marries Zipporah and works for his father-in-law, Jethro. 
So here then we are today. Moses is just trucking along, working for his father-in-law, and he sees a bush ablaze, but not being burnt up. Let's stop here. Would, would you go to this bush? You personally. <laughs> if you were just going about your work and you saw a bush on fire not being burnt up, would you go? Would you ignore it? Would you call someone else to deal with it? Would it depend on what else was happening in your day? <laughs> if you were running a little late, like, I don't have time for this. Um, I'm the kind of person who would go to it. Um, I'm not proud of that. I'm a naturally curious person. Um, but I know people who I love and respect and should probably emulate that would say, no, no, not for me. Mm-mm. That is not my business. And some days I feel too rushed or too busy to investigate. Frankly, not many, but some. I think God knew Moses was a curious person, right? Because he went over to this bush. Flocks be darned, there's something weird going on. He wants to figure out what it is. I think a first beautiful lesson we can draw from this is resting in the knowledge that God shows up where you are. We read that over and over in stories in different ways. We read about that in the garden with Noah, with Abraham's strangers, to Hagar in the desert, to Moses and this bush, to Mary and Joseph, to the disciples fishing, to Paul, Saul, when the scales fall off his eyes. God finds us right where we are. I was an RA in college, a resident assistant, on the history education lifestyle floor. <laughs> I was pretty cool, in case that doesn't give it away. And I had um, a partner, Eric, who was on the other side of the floor, and we were the two history ed RAs in the Atkin Colby dorms, floor four at Illinois State University. We went to the same campus ministry, the Wesley Foundation there, and he felt called to ministry um, and was really unsettled by that call. Ooh, he didn't know what to do about it. He wasn't sure, and he just kind of really felt pulled in a lot of different directions. So one summer, he decided to bike and canoe down the Mississippi, just go as long as he could, hoping to find clarity. When he came back next fall, I was expecting he would have some grand decision that he made on this trip where he found God. He heard God's voice more clearly. Turns out, unsurprisingly, when you let a 19-year-old just canoe down a river, it was a disaster. <laughs> And I remember talking about him one night, and he said, I don't know why I thought I had to chase God, to go somewhere else or to be someone else. And I'm paraphrasing a bit. This was well over 15 years ago, but that really stuck with me. Sometimes we feel like Eric did, like we have to go elsewhere in order to find God. In our scripture, we learn that God shows up where we are, that God is the finder. The seeking we often need to do is within ourselves and the familiar. And many of us have had incredible mountaintop moments, vacations, and service trips. They're in scripture too. The transfiguration, the revealing of the tablets to Moses. But more often than not, in our scripture story and in our own lives, God shows up in the ordinary day of working for your father-in-law. That's where God is. And personally, I think that's comforting. 
as we move back into a time of finding routines, right back to not finding seven different, seven different camps for your children, <laughs> all their summer sports, all the family reunions and vacations, right? We live in an interesting place where we have all four seasons. We have a clear tourist season and nine months of school. So we tend to let summer be a little bit of a different routine, just generally, right? It's, it's summer, we, that we have more light, we do all sorts of things. And for me, it's comforting and a little bit frightening that God will show up even as we snap back into a more regular routine. And while you might not be someone who rushes towards danger, that's probably for the best, we can be on the lookout for God in our everyday routines, right? For just where God might be showing up, trying to get our attention. And to follow Moses' example in this story, Moses notices, shows up, and says, here am I. Now, there's some banter back and forth after this. Moses does not just comply. He has some serious questions, right? But God shouts Moses' name, gets his attention, and then Moses says, here am I. Moses has some good questions. Who am I to do this, right? He's a man who murdered someone and is on the lamb. Some scholars suggest he has a speech impediment that makes it hard to communicate when he's stressed. We have some evidence in the rest of his story that that might be true. So often when we are nudged, when our heart breaks for a certain situation and we feel compelled to do something, we think of all the reasons it might not be for us. We reject ourselves and let ourselves off the hook from the nudges we feel. While sometimes scripture can be translated in a really clunky way, in this story, I think the English is really beautiful because we have Moses saying, with some questions and some hesitations, here I am, and then, well, who am I? And as a final answer, God says, no, no, no. I am. I am who I am. (laughs) I choose you, and I am. Sometimes we preach this text, and we end it there, right? We end it at that place, just knowing that God can and does choose us, imperfect us, in imperfect situations. But it's missing a crucial element if we stop there, at least for today, this preaching. Moses is called to what end? He's not called for nothing. God shows up to him for a reason, to liberate people, to liberate people. That's why Moses is called. God says, I have seen the Hebrew people's suffering. God says, I know their suffering, and I am calling you to liberate them. Sometimes it seems like in larger cultural Christianity, We either like God to be entirely supernatural, right? Above nature, God chooses everything that happens to us. You know, everything happens for a reason kind of theology. It was God's decision and whatever you experience, you deserve it in some way. Now, we don't promote that kind of theology here, but you've heard it. It's common within cultural Christianity. It's probably the most popular way to understand things. And then there's kind of the exact opposite, more of a flip side this kind of Jeffersonian deist thought where God is like a clockmaker who set everything into motion and then peace. You're on your own, everyone. I'm watching from afar. 
you do your thing and God cannot interfere at all. And some of us might fall within that camp. What I love about this story in the second book of scripture is that God is both and. God is supernatural and God chooses people to do God's work. God transcends our abilities to put her, him, them in one camp or the other. God showed up in a shrub, set it ablaze, and then said, hey, I can do this, but I want you to do this thing. I call you to liberate people. And I find that comforting as well, right? Because that speaks to my, and I bet many of our experiences. There are things that happen that we cannot explain. Try as we might, we cannot explain them. And we know, we know God uses us, imperfect us, to do God's work. I want to come back to the situation that happened with our sign. It's been on my heart a lot this week, and many of ours, I'm sure. Our sign is a different kind of both and for me. On one hand, it's an incredibly passive form of affirmation and inclusion. Um, We have and continue to do the meaningful work of affirmation and inclusion of queer people here in this space, in the life of the church, within these doors, in much less visible ways. We have that on our sign to give folks a glimpse of who we are, which is like every other message we have on that sign, right? It lets people know a little bit about who we are. And even the passive sign we put out there to let people know that in some way we are affirming of queer people was so threatening, someone walked or got out of a vehicle with a hunting crossbow and shot it with an arrow. And I don't think many of us signed up to be some sort of activist church. But when activists come with their weapons and their fear and their violence, it begs us to consider how we can show up and have a faithful witness to the God we know includes all of us as a church, but also as individuals. Some of us can be a little quiet in our allyship for the marginalized, for fear of standing out, for fear of being made a target. And I understand that. And we are called, just like Moses, to liberate. Not exactly because of who we are, but because of who God is. Who we know our God to be. We are called to liberate ourselves, our community, those who have to walk around fearing that their own identity is a threat by simply existing. And I don't have a particular call to action around this sign yet. We probably will this week, like I said before. I've been connecting with our leaders, other church leaders in town. Some of you might know we have a Portage Progressive Clergy Collective, a group of churches in town that kind of are in the general same theological sphere. I'm talking to them about it. Um, Folks from the city called, the city manager called. And um, while this is a pretty, you know, property damage is unfortunate, it sent a message. A concern is that there's a little bit of an uptick in aggressive rhetoric and action in our community. You might remember last year, um, there were some pretty violent things said about our schools for offering students a gender-affirming clothes closet from a grant aimed at preventing youth suicide. You know, this arrow thing, you know, it's really made me think and pray as well. What is my role? What is our role? 
And I'm learning uh, that it's best not to be super reactive, but to pause and to consider where the Spirit might be calling me and us, what the Spirit might be calling us to do. And what's nice is that I can come to you all without having any like, hey, here's what we're doing, here's my plan, without having any direct answers yet, but trusting that we're going to figure this out together because God leads us in these next steps, even if we don't have answers right now. And I trust that we will figure out a way to support our queer community because there are many ways we can support our queer community. For some, this was a stark reminder of how dangerous it can be to be visibly queer. And I'm so grateful for people who choose to be who they are in their full beloved queer humanity and invite others to know who they are given that there is tremendous risk. And we're all called to show up in our full humanity, God-given humanity without fear of violence. Friends, that is liberation right there. Last week, Barry asked us to consider what systems of oppression we are complicit in, and I trust we're doing that. We're thinking that through. And I want to add to that with you, me, and us to keep doing that work paired with the work we find in Scripture today. Where might God be calling little old me, little old you, little old us to do the work of liberation here? So people might be free to be exactly who God created them to be and called them to be in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community. And it doesn't have to be a large gesture, although it can. But how do we need to shift our ways of being such that living out our Christianity, the way we follow Jesus Christ, liberates others in the ordinary, in the day-to-day, in the taking care of your father-in-law's flocks? And when the arrows fly, and they will, know that we can draw strength from one another from the one who made us, who calls us, and who says with the final word, friends, I am. Amen. All right. Well, let's start with the, with the basics, with the message, the okay. scripture. <laughs> So um, if I had a takeaway that I wanted people to take away, that's usually where we start with a podcast. Um, It would have been like, yes, God shows up where you are. Um, Yes, we need to notice and look out for where God is. Uh, But also God calls us to something and very often it's to liberate folks. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. (laughs) So, Wait, um, which of those points was your favorite, though? What should we be focused on? Because oh, my brain, I can only take away one thing from a sermon, I swear. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I try to fit like three in one okay. uh, almost every week. Maybe now that I'm going to preach every week and, and Barry's renewal leave time, <laughs> I'll, yeah. Here you I'll go. tone it down. <laughs> no, a three-point sermon, that's classic. <laughs> that's classic. So they all integrate uh, that sense of God meets us where we are. God calls us into something that is rooted in liberation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so probably that last bit, which isn't unfamiliar to folks if you've uh, been around theologically progressive spaces, but there's just, this is such a meaty text, it's hard mm. to know where to go. 
um, with it. So I'm curious because before we started recording, you told me you preached on the same text earlier this summer. Um, what it was like hearing someone else preach that same text and kind of what you were like, hey, I, I liked this point that I brought up or I wish I would have said this or... Yeah, well, I obviously, I resonate with the theological context around here. This is uh, sort of my uh, natural space. Mm. Uh, but I, I the, yeah, I love that it goes from that God meeting us in the in the space away. So when I preached on it, it was about finding the, the mystery in in our spiritual life, mm. reconnecting with that, those moments and turning toward the fire uh, that we have this, when usually, yeah, because you said in the, in your sermon, you're like, I think I'm one of those people who would walk toward that weird are, thing. Are you? I feel like you are. 100%. 100%. I'm going for it. Yeah. Uh, mostly out of like strange curiosity. Why is this mm. thing on fire? I really want to know more about this. Yeah. Uh, but, and then you moved it in the end toward liberation. Whereas I loved the fact that the couple verses right before the scripture are God hears the people and it all starts from that compassion for folks who are being oppressed. Yeah. That's like, so none of this story would have happened if it hadn't started with God hearing the cries of the people on the margins. Yes. Yeah. That is, um, it is really a beautiful story in that regard. And it's interesting how I think particularly in uh, Anglo Christian spaces, we often don't go to that piece of liberation. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know that in um, churches uh, that are predominantly people of color, that liberation is often like that is the theme of Jesus. That is mm-hmm. the theme throughout the entirety of the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures as well. Yes. Um, so, kind of bridging that gap is an is an interesting uh, space to be in, and uh, yeah, to bring forth in in small ways. Mm-hmm. Now, that's why over at Millwood, where I've been preaching, we've been doing a whole month on heroes. Oh, and, fun! And every hero, you're right, is all about setting somebody else free. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yeah. And often at self-sacrifice, you know, gotta, you're risking a lot of your own self to help others be free. Yeah. What is your... So we're not going to go further into um, the Moses narrative right now. We were in Sanctified Arts Anything But Ordinary Through Ordinary Time, and that was actually our last... Mm. message in that um but if you had to pick uh like a a part of moses story to do like a ted talk sermon on which part would it be oh man well i mean the other one that's this is clearly the scripture that's fresh in my brain and everything else is definitely shaped by the movie from the 90s the prince Prince of of egypt Egypt. all right everything (laughs) i assume it's brad pitt and val kilmer yes yeah (laughs) Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey singing together. That soundtrack. Whew. Right? Yeah. Uh, so all the rest of those. I mean, uh, I love the opposite end of the story, which mm. is Moses and Joshua. Yeah. They're at the end, the fact that uh, Moses doesn't get to the promised land. Yeah. After all of this, his whole life's work is to get his people into the promised land, and he never gets there himself. Yeah. And I, I think that's... A good reminder for those of us doing the work that even as we hand it off to the next generation, because I, you know, we both have little kids in our lives mm-hmm. and get to say like, I, I know in a generation from now, you're going to be looking back at all the things I was doing wrong yeah. and, and I'm, I'm going to have messed up a lot yep. and I'm doing my very best and I'm going to have to stand in that space and go like, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things I messed up and I really want you to have at least 
gone into the next phase? Have you crossed the river from where I am? Yeah. And how do I set you up? How do I get out of the way? How do I, yeah, mm-hmm. um, look. Give look you towards, that mantle. Yeah. Yeah. Long, that's really, I, I really love that. That is a, these stories are so beautiful uh, because they, they really speak to um, a constant in humanity, right? Mm. That kind of figuring out what comes next. And, yeah. Um, I think something I've, that I've been really drawn to, and some of this is probably around um, my husband's work as a public defender. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot more about the justice system, the criminal justice system. And I'm really drawn to the fact that um, Moses was a murderer and yet was called to liberate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we know that. Right. Like we know that that's part of the story, but oftentimes in dominant Christian culture, we see that aligned um, with a very kind of law and order sense. And and the assumption that some folks are irredeemable Mm -hmm. and need to be removed from society entirely. They are not worth um, being saved, you know, or, or they're not worth even contributing anything. And so it really gives me a foundation to consider thinking, like, what does meaningful rehabilitation look like? And if we are people of resurrection, and if we if we say God can use anyone in any situation, do we put our money where our mouth is? Right. Um, and I yeah, often feel like we don't. Yeah. Is, this is literally, he's on the lamp. Yeah. He's, he's on the lamp for murdering someone. Yeah. Yeah. He's run away from the cops. He's, you know, hid, hiding out in the hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we forget about that, that this is someone who's like, don't tell the cops I'm here. Also, why is that bush on fire? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently yeah. still curious enough, can't even keep his head down <laughs> enough <laughs> to stay out of the shenanigans, yeah. runs straight to it, takes off those shoes mm-hmm. and says, uh, here I am. So yeah, Moses ha- is a, you know, his whole narrative is a really beautiful and rich story. And it's been fun generally. In the last few summers, we've gotten into some of the Hebrew scripture stories, mm-hmm. which has been great. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're getting into Jesus-y time, which I love. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, it's good. Gotta have both. Good. Yeah, but it's been fun to kind of spend time in these foundational stories. Um, let's see. Do you have any final thoughts on the message? No, I, I think mostly I want to say I, I, I didn't hear about... Uh, what happened to your sign, oh, sign. until yeah. after church. Someone came up uh, from our, my congregation and said, hey, did you hear what happened to Chapel Hill? I was yeah. like, no, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've got some folks who are uh, sending their love to you, whole crew of leaders, because uh, despite the fact that we're like across town from each other, uh, we have leaders who live on Oakland yeah. and who live like two streets over this way and two streets over this way. We're the same community. Yeah. We really are. Uh, so... Uh, we just want to show you love and support and tell you we're so sorry about this, you know, crappy thing that happened to you. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Uh, also, we're sending some money. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's really thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually think there's some folks from the city who are helping to kind of coordinate that effort, too. Not just because, um, well, in addition to the fact that uh, we kind of have this violence know coming at our space in our in our physical space um particularly related to um our affirmation of queer folks Mm -hmm. but also just because that's not the community we want to live in right you know it's we can live with a diversity of views um and i'll i'll have plenty of um heated and respectful conversations about what that might look like right but the violence part 
uh, you know, that's just, that's uncalled for and uncool and we don't need to make anyone feel unsafe. So I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the support this community has received. And, um, yeah, we're putting together, um, something with the city of Portage and some of our Portage, um, progressive clergy collective. So Mm -hmm. thank you. It's nice to know that in a connectional system, our other uh, Methodist siblings are looking out for us as well. Yeah. 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 Sorry, it took me six days to find out, but we'll Well, no, I mean, we'll that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, so this podcast is called It Simply Isn't Done. And one of the reasons you're here is mm-hmm. in addition to having, um, you know, strong ties working in here and a lot of people that love you and that you love here, you are doing something in the United Methodist Church that simply isn't done. Right. You are a deacon serving um, in a local pastorate. So for folks listening, some of you might be really familiar uh, with how Methodist clergy work. Uh, Others might not be. So Caleb, will you talk a little bit about being a deacon and how that's different from myself as an elder? Yeah, there are lots of tracks of ministry, lots of Mm -hmm. ways that people are called. And two of them we have claimed to be set aside as ordained ministry. This is uh, where you go through a system of education and a system of vetting that is our uh, classic, what you think of as a pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is, so going to seminary and getting your process where you are having hands of the bishop laid on you. And uh, and I, I did that, but there are Two parallel tracks. Mm-hmm. For the last uh, 27 years, uh, there have been these two parallel tracks of ministry. One where we think God is calling you into being the shepherd of a congregation, and one where we think that God is calling you into a specialized ministry. Mm-hmm. And those have been a real binary in yeah. our system. Uh, and we have said, all right, there are these elders who are pastors and they, they shepherd the congregation or two or three or however many. And we have these deacons who are uh, professors and are uh, social workers and are musicians and are doing all the other things that are really specialized ministries. And that was my whole sense of my calling was that God is calling me into using music to connect people with God, with each other and with themselves. And it's been amazing that, uh, after I, I quit a job that was uh, kind of toxic, uh, I spent you know, nine months not working at all, just uh, working on my house. It was lined up perfectly with the beginning of COVID. So it's like, oh, yeah. here we are. You know, yeah. we, Everybody is on kind of a weird transition time. Mm-hmm. And I, as we were sort of reconnecting with other people uh, that fall, I ran into uh, Billy Dalton, who's... Uh, a frequent guest around here at yes. uh, at Chapel Hill, <laughs> and he was serving as pastor at Millwood United Methodist at the time, and he was like, "Hey, you know, you're called to connect the the church and community. Uh, why don't you come over and help our church do that?" So I went over there to help a, a real tiny part time uh, minister for outreach. And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I'm all about how we're specialized connecting with the community. We did some community development work. We did some." Surveying did just, I mean, it's, it was a weird time to be doing community work. Yeah. Uh, but we started it, and along the way, uh, they were clear that, uh, first, that Billy was retiring again. and that, as, as so many Methodist again, clergy do. <laughs> uh, and that uh, they were like, hey, we think that God is calling you to be our pastor. 
I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Because I thought I have all this extra training in music, and I, you guys loved uh, uh, me into some real growth in that space while I was here. It was awesome. Uh, so I, I really thought that was my exclusive ministry. And it mm-hmm. turns out that uh, the vision we have for ourselves uh, so I, you heard me say it. I was very clear that mine is to connect people with God, with each other, with themselves through music. Mm-hmm. That visions should, if you go through the trainings, you, they should never include uh, how you're doing it. Mm. They should say what your goal is, yeah. right? My goal was to connect people with God, with each other, with themselves. And I show up at this church and they have their clear mission statement, which is connecting through Christ. And they say that they are going to be, and literally we've been laying out our values as the church, and there's line up exactly there. We are connecting folks with God, with each other, and with themselves. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I th- <laughs> I She's think done it again, that spirit. God has done it one more time. Uh, so it's been a really fabulous time. We're starting the third year of me being this uh, deacon pastor mm-hmm. and living in there and recognizing that this binary uh is artificial yeah that every pastor there are some folks who are hardcore on the elder side and they become ds's and they become bishops and people who are all about the structure of the church the order called to the order. right right and then there are folks who are very specialized in their ministries like uh we know that as much as you know barry is all about the order he's literally chair of the board of ordained ministry so don't mm-hmm. let him hear any of this uh <laughs> but uh he also you know he's a musician he's mm-hmm. a poet he's looking for ways to explore and use the arts to connect with people in new ways so he's he's somewhere in that middle ground too mm-hmm. and i think that's true of all of us at some level and putting an artificial binary on it uh, i don't think has done too much damage so far yeah but i, I worry you know I, I hear every so often little, you know, like rumors of people getting, you know, in a twist about the fact that I'm kind of breaking the rules oh. here. Ooh. Oh, I know, right? It simply isn't done, Caleb. It simply isn't done. <laughs> uh, but recognizing that, like, I think that God is calling me to help this church connect, yeah. to connect with their community. Uh, we've been doing it. Uh, this church is growing and kind of fast and is reconnecting and is getting to reflect their community more as far as diversity of ages, diversity of colors, diversity of uh, gender and sexuality. It's its incredible yeah. what is going on. And I don't think it's because I'm awesome. I think it's because God has said, all right, this is the right time for this. Yeah. You know, I think back to that Esther moment. For where such a time. <laughs> maybe it was, I love that it, you know, it was maybe it was for such a moment as this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really beautiful. And you bring up a good point about the future of the church generally. And really, we're seeing a lot of this needing to break down binaries, right? No Mm -hmm. one's trying to shirk roles or responsibilities. Um, But sometimes uh, us Methodists, because we are very into methods. Right. Love a structure. Yeah, we do. Sometimes our processes um, might inhibit a little bit of what God is trying to do and might rub up against that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we encounter that here in this kind of co-pastorate we have. 
were the only non-married co-pastors oh, wow. in, in Michigan. And I think probably in our jurisdiction, mm. there are a few others that I've connected with on the coasts okay. doing this, but not a ton. And it's been a really beautiful model for um, the roles and responsibility with less hierarchical mm. leadership. Yeah. Um, we're able to do a lot more creative things right, nice. because of that. Yeah. And I think uh, your example is one of that as well. Like what, why would we not want someone who is theologically trained who um, the congregation is saying, hey, I, I think I think this might be our leader who is mm-hmm. willing to say yes. Yeah. You know, like why would we not want that even if it quote unquote breaks the rules a little bit? Right. Um, which is something Jesus never did. Hey, yeah. watch out. <laughs> that never broke any rules, okay. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> He broke some rules from time to time. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and that our uh, our leadership, at least here in Michigan, has affirmed this um, right. for, for both of our uh, pastorates right now. All, like you said, it's not without a little grumbling, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but hey, and, what is? <laughs> and reciprocally, I think if if our structure says, no, you have to fit this structure to make it happen, you know, I'm going to remain flexible too. Because yeah. uh, I can't say everybody else should remain flexible and not me. But not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to say that none of our structures are more important than what God is calling us to do right now. Yeah. And figuring out how to be how to be open to that and what that might look like. That's yeah. really the challenge. Yeah. Um, especially in this time where, um, you know, our church is going through a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. And probably needed, uh, but not without some pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I watch the the two Methodist churches in Portage on the left and right side of the city. Mm-hmm. Doing uh, our thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Splitting in, in different ways and yet trying to remain, um, yeah, thoughtfully engaged with one another because we still mm-hmm. have this history and beautiful connection. Yes. Yeah. Well, Caleb, I'm so delighted that you agreed to be here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Just yeah. have me over. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll hear you next time. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm